Uh, well, on behalf of Crystal and I, it's uh, great to be back with you. Some of you didn't even realize we were gone. <laughs> so you're like, oh, you are back from where? Um, but uh, the, the church council gave us a few weeks away, and we just had a great time um, just recharging, uh, doing some study, uh, just connecting with the Lord, and so it was a, it was a rich time. Uh, there's some benchmarking across some great churches across the country that we were able to, to visit and get some credit is. And just, uh, just say, I think I would speak for Chris and I, uh, there's nothing like being with you uh, as we go around and uh, see what God's up to in other places. Uh, I get excited about what God's up to right here. And so it's uh, wonderful to be home, and uh, we love you. Uh, take your Bible, if you would, as we jump back uh, together uh, in this series, We Are Better Together, and turn with me, if you would, to First uh, uh, Peter chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. Uh, but before we get into God's Word... Let me just encourage you personally to find your place this fall. We, we, uh, if you were here last weekend, I loved the sermon that Pastor Bill uh, preached uh, where he just reminded us of the importance of being rooted and, and finding that place to grow and mature in our faith. And there's a, just a just a, any number of wonderful opportunities for you to grow this fall. Uh, many of those uh, across the different campuses, many of those right here at this campus, some happen uh, today. I think we have a class that gets started even uh, today. Uh, downstairs we've got some, some great classes, but you can go online to learn more about that. Uh, so you can go to our website, myfirstchurch.com, and if you just scroll down, there's a green that says Grow 2022. And if you just scroll down a little bit, and then there's a, a more info tab of some kind. I forget what it says exactly. Uh, and so you just, or learn more tab. And so if you click that, and it'll take you somewhere and you can get information. We have an info hub out in the lobby where you can get inf information, or uh, uh, we just encourage you to, to find that place uh, to grow. And in addition to finding that place to grow and growing in your faith, there's also opportunity for you to serve this fall. And as we heard in the Pulse uh, today, uh, there's a lot of different amazing uh, teams, serve teams. You got a card, hopefully, if you're here in the room uh, as you came in, and you can use the QR code or you can fill that out and you can drop that in the offering baskets, take it to the info hub. Again, we'd love to have a personal conversation with you, whatever works best for you. But there are tech teams and guest services teams and worship teams and teams that serve teenagers. And as we heard in the video, uh, teams are in our pulse, teams that serve our children. There's nothing better than having the opportunity to share Christ with a child. And so uh, we so value those of you who help us uh, to serve. And so you can use that QR code again or uh, fill that card out and encourage you to, to take advantage of that. Uh, and so let me just conclude that with just a big thank you uh, for those of you who serve. We could not do it without you. And what is this theme of what we're learning in this series? We absolutely are better. We are better together, aren't we? Well, if COVID taught us anything, aside from you should wash your hands a lot and don't touch your face, um, I think most of us knew that, but it was good to be reminded of that for a couple years. Um, and so hopefully we're better at that now. Um, if we learned anything, it was how much we need one another. That in this world that is struggling and is broken, that, that we need one another. That we are better together. That we need to serve one another and love one another and reach this world together with each other. And as we explore this, what is a foundational truth that we are better together, the Apostle Peter is going to help us with that. 
So as you're, as you're turning there to 1 Peter again, chapter 4, verse, starting with verse 7, let me give you a little background. Uh, Peter is writing to a church that had scattered. There was persecution that had gone on, and they had scattered from the epicenter of where the church was really birthed in Jerusalem uh, to the known world at the time. And if you have a map and you can think in your head, there's Israel north of Israel and Asia Minor is what is now present-day Turkey. And there are a number, if you look at, the fir- at first Peter, the first chapter, you can see where he lists these different places, regions that he is giving, sending this letter that he's writing. He's talking to these people. It's it's the followers of Christ that are scattered around this this area that is present-day Turkey, and he's writing it to them in the midst of intense persecution. If you know history of that era, you know Nero. Nero was, lived in opposition to Christians, and he had, he had blamed them in, I think, 64 AD for the fire that had destroyed much of Rome. And so there was, again, intense persecution of God's people. And into that, Peter, who knew his time on this earth was growing short, Because if you recall, Jesus himself had told Peter that he would be martyred. He would die himself. And so with that, I'm sure in the forefront of his mind, he pens these words. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Again, writing in this time of intense persecution, Christ followers losing their homes, losing their possessions, and in all too many cases, losing their very lives. And into that context, he writes, the end of all things is at hand. And so we look at, you know, from the time of Christ, when Christ was with his followers, there is this reoccurring theme that he would return and he could return at any moment. Paul uh, carries that theme in Romans 13 when he says, uh, 13, he says, to wake up for the night is far spent and the day is at hand. He goes on to write to the church at Philippi, the Lord is near. James tells us the same thing in James 3 or James 5, 8. John tells us uh, that we are living in the last hour in 1 John, uh, in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 28. And John the Revelator, hearing the very words of Jesus, when Jesus relates, surely I am coming soon. The end of all things is at hand. And Peter joins the chorus of those verse, voices proclaiming the end of all things at hand. And we think about, think about that, and we think about this bigger theme of Christ's return. We think also, uh, you could think maybe of the persecution they were experiencing, and, and Peter maybe was alluding to, the, to what they were, uh, what they knew was coming to an end, the end of all things as they're enduring this persecution. In any case, whether it's a, uh, whatever the, the exact thing that he's saying to us, it's a wake-up call for all of us, the end of all things is at hand. That we need to wake up, that we need to be, not to get too comfortable, because what do we say at the very beginning? That this world is not our home, and that we are people on mission. And he launches then into, in, these, in the next part of this passage, he launches into what our response to be as a result of the reality that the end of all things is at hand. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That prayer is vital in this broken world that we are in. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another 
as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the next few minutes, as we look at this passage, let's just talk about, as we keep in mind that the end of all things is at hand, and that we are called on mission, and that we are better together, what, is, what, what, what should it look like for us to serve one another and, and love one another? What should it look like for us to, to, to live together? What is it, what, what, what does that, how does that, how does that flesh out for us in our lives? What does he begin with as we look at this particular section? Above all things, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So he says, this is the most important thing. He says, above all. There's a lot of things you could be doing, but above all, the first thing, the priority needs to be love. And so as we think about being better together, we need to prioritize love. Above all, love. He says to love one another earnestly. The Greek, if you go back and you study that word, that word could be translated, and maybe you have a different version that you're reading from today, and different versions use a little different word that's translated from the original Greek, and it could mean constantly love, deeply love, eagerly love, fervently love, diligently love, that we should prioritize loving earnestly. And when we do that, that kind of love covers, he says, a multitude of sins. How many could give a little testimony that the love that God has for us that Jesus displayed on the cross covered a multitude of our sins? Anybody? We all, we all understand that. And so earnest love, Jesus' love for us covers a multitude of sin, but, but, but Peter is talking to the church. And Peter talking to the church says to Christ's followers, hey, when we love one another earnestly, that type of love will cover a multitude of sins. How many people have been hurt? And we struggle at times because we endure hurt and people sinning against us. We've been defamed or belittled or backstabbed or misunderstood. And it will be Christ's love flowing through us that empowers us to cover a multitude of sins against us. Prioritizing love will help us to find the reconciliation and forgiveness that we need to, to cover that multitude of sins that have been given against us. As we live a life on mission, we need to get this. That we need to, above all, earnestly love so that we can be a church and be a people that are reconciled, reconcilers and forgivers, that we can have healthy relationships in the church because our love, as we earnestly, diligently love one another, that that love will cover a multitude of sins. As we think about our world, we can probably give a hearty amen that our world could use love being a priority. And the expression of love being a priority in a time that we live in, in a culture that we live in, where it seems like everyone is on edge, where we've lost the ability to, uh, to, to give each other the benefit of the doubt, right? Where we've 
where we've lost the ability to seek to, to stand in someone else's shoes, to understand someone else's perspective. And in that age, Peter's words reverberate through the ages to us, and he says, prioritize love. Above all, love, because love covers a multitude of sins. It's not actually the first person who told us that we should love this way. There's someone else you might know his name, Jesus. <laughs> he said the same thing to us. In Matthew 22, he's asked the question by religious leaders, uh, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. He says, prioritize love. And second, he said, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what did he say? All the law, all the prophets. He said the foundation of everything that we are and everything that we believe and everything that we do and everything that we, we have, have lived out, he said that foundation, the foundation must be love, the priority of love. You might recall the new command that, again, this Jesus guy that we ought to be listening to, the command, this new command that he gave us, he said it to us in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so if you look closely at what he says there, the, one of the ways that the world will know us, the, one of the ways that the world will recognize that we are followers of Christ is, is what? Through, the, through what we say that we believe, what, what does he say? How they will know? By the love that we have for one another. And so if we're going to be better together, we need to prioritize love. And so I would just ask us, as we think about that, how's that going? How's it going for you to prioritize love in your marriage? How's that going for you to prioritize love when you think about your kids, whether they're small and going through the terrible twos or they're going through the terrible twenties? whatever age they're at, how's that going? How's it going to love that obnoxious uncle of yours? How's it going to love people in the church that sometimes we might have struggle with? How's it going to, to love those people that have a different view than you have on super important issues like, oh, I shouldn't go there, should I? You fill in the blank. Into a world filled with prickly people that Jesus has called us to reach. What does he say? He says love. How's that going for you? How is it going for you to love earnestly? How's it going to keep that new command that Jesus gave to love? If we go back to the text, he says, and let me just read that portion again. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. One of the things when you're studying Scripture that you should take note of is any time when you read a passage, especially if it's in close proximity to one another, uh, words or phrases that are repeated. And notice what's repeated just in these two or three verses right here. Do you see it? What's the phrase that's repeated three 
different times, just in these few verses. He says to love one another, show hospitality to one another, to serve one another. That idea of one another, that we need one another, that, that when we, as, as we live out our faith, that we live it out in proximity, in relationship with one another, in our interactions with one another. We show the world, again, like Jesus said, we show the world who we are and that we're His as we love one another, as we serve one another. And what we learn from that, as we see all these one another's, and we learn from the context of what Peter is telling us, as we think about being better together, that we need to embrace the value of we. To embrace the value of we. In the individualistic society that we live in, when it's all about our personal rights, that you can't tell me what to do, it's my right, and we think that and we live that way, we live in this culture and it's all about me, and that can even begin to infiltrate the church and the body of Christ. Our faith gets boiled down to what's in it for me. How will it help me? And the church becomes a place where it's all about my individual needs. And how can my individual needs be met? And when I am not getting my individual needs met, then I take my toys and I go home. And I might find another church to attend, or maybe I just abandon faith altogether. Because I was not getting what I needed. We live in a culture where the three most important people in most of our lives are me, myself, and I. And we live that way. But into that, we understand that what God is calling us to is something higher than that, something better than that. And we, and we notice when we look at the grand meta-narrative of all of Scripture that we see that it is a story of how God was preparing a people not just this, the, the, the central story is not a bunch of individuals. The central story is a people. That, that we see that, that God was, was bringing together a nation of people to take his gospel good news to the world. He was, he was building a nation. He was building a church. He was building a group of his children who together could impact the world. And so there's this, this reality of the togetherness of us, the, the value of we. So to understand, really understand, the plan of salvation, we have to embrace the value of we. That we are better together. That church isn't something I participate in individually in isolation. And so can we just take a moment and let's just reflect back and let's celebrate. Sometimes we don't do a great job of celebrating what God's been up to, but for 115 plus years, God has been using a people that he planted and rooted in this community to reach people for Jesus Christ. That's our history. That's who First Church is. A group of people that had this passion to reach their world together. We can do it together. We can make the bricks that build the very foundations of a church together in the basement of somebody's house because we are one and we're doing it together. We'll build it together. We'll do it together. And that has been our history. Think about how across multiple campuses, multiple communities, distinct communities, God is working through us together to reach people. Think about do something this year. It happened just a few months ago, 900 or so people volunteering all over our county, scores of municipalities being helped, nonprofits being helped, teams of volunteers for close to a year 
planning and working together and using their gifts of organization and service and helps to, to, to put it all together so that we could all show up on one glorious day and work together in this community to make Jesus famous, to let our light shine before men, that they see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Or what about Vacation Bible School? Where hundreds of kids came together each night, served by scores and scores of First Church volunteers. Kids coming to Christ, thousands, children who raised thousands of dollars together for mission work halfway across the world in Paraguay. The power of we. Or what about Lake Michigan Baptism? where three campuses and another sister congregation that want to be a part of us come together and we baptize some 70 people. And as we think about the stories of those people, that, that most people, we understand, don't come to Christ in isolation. But there's been people like you and me that have loved them and impacted them and served them and shared with them and prayed for them. The power of we bringing 70 individuals to a place where they say, I want to follow Christ and identify with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I want the world to know. And then there's New Heights, and there's laundry, a laundry hub that's, that's coming soon, and there's, there's auto services that we're doing, and there's food that we provide in our community, and there's cell recovery classes, and there's youth ministries across campuses, and there's children's ministry across multiple campuses. There's lives being changed with the power of the gospel, and a core to it is the value that we understand in the power of we. Because friends, we are better together. There's one final thing as we read this text just one more time, the last couple of verses. And as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God, God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice first that Peter is, in these couple verses, reminding the followers of, of Christ, the, the gift that in Christ that they've been given. And we've talked about that on any number of occasions, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you've been given, you've been endowed spiritual gifts. That's a gift as a, uh, as a follower of Jesus that, that, that is yours. Spiritual gifts are... are are, are gifts that empower us, that enable us to serve, to live out our purpose, that help us to get past uh, and to put it into practice this, this idea of this individualistic me, 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 but we serve one another as we exercise, exercise our gifts. Gifts like hospitality and service and helps and generosity. There's people that have the gift of faith or wisdom, people that have the gift of leadership or exhortation or pastor or teacher evangelist to name a few of those gifts that we have been given and what does peter say should be done with the when we have been blessed when we have been given grace when we've been given these gifts what are we to do with them we are he says to serve one another again because we're better together think about again the things we just shared just a minute ago all of those things None of them do something. Lake Michigan Baptist, Vacation Bible School, all of the, all the things we do, all the, all the ministry we do to children and youth and older, all of the things that we do, none of it can be done. Any of us can do it by ourselves. We're better together. 
It's when we use the gifts that as we have been blessed that we in turn use those gifts and then we turn our blessing that we have received into a blessing for others. So being better together, we understand that we turn our blessing into blessing. Again, think back to those handful of events that I shared, that that was us, different ones of us using our gifts and talents and together we did some amazing things. And we were a blessing as we put into practice the blessing that we have received. As we chose to serve one another. Investing the gifts that we've been given. As Peter says, use them as good stewards. And what does he say? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's a lot of hype right now around Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. New show based on... uh, Tolkien's original work, the, uh, the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit. And it made me want to go back and watch the original uh, movie, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings. And so I set aside eight hours of my day to re- watch that one movie. Or no, maybe it was three or whatever. It's a long movie. Um, and I somehow thought, oh, extended cut version. Yeah, we'll watch that. Um, and so over the course of five days, I watched it. And if you know the story that Tolkien put together with Middle-earth, and especially in that first book the, uh, in the trilogy, Lord of the Rings, you'll remember that there's a, there's a piece of the story where there's a kingdom of Gondor. And the kingdom of Gondor has a king, but the king is absent from the throne. And, in that, and had been absent for some generations. And so in the absence of that king there is a what was called the steward of gondor and the steward of gondor in the absence of the king is the one who keeps the kingdom running is the one who serves the king the one who who makes sure that that the things that need to happen happen the steward served the king. And in the story of the rings of Gondor, that particular steward was deranged, so that didn't particularly end well. But, but what, does, what does it say? We're not to be deranged stewards. What does Scripture say? We are to be good stewards. Good stewards. And a steward takes care of what has been entrusted to them. And so we have been entrusted with God's varied grace. We have been entrusted by the, the varied... Some of your translations you translate that, that Greek word, the manifold. That's not a word we use a whole lot unless you're working on cars and understand what a manifold is. And so it's the manifold grace. It's the multicolored grace. It's the varied grace. It's like a, a diamond that you would hold up to the light and you see all of its different facets shining as the, the light hits it in certain ways. And that is the grace of God. This grace, this manifold, multifaceted grace of His. It has so many different sides. And there's so much to it. And Peter says to be good stewards of what you have been given this precious gift that you have been given. Galatians says it this way in Galatians 5.13, For we, were called to free, we who were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so we have been given so much. The freedom that we enjoy in Christ, the forgiveness from sin that we enjoy in Christ. So use it, not for ourselves, but use it to serve one another. So we are blessed, and in turn, we have this privilege as stewards, good stewards, 
to be a blessing. Or that passage that we love to quote around here, that we love to live out around here, that we love to use as it motivates us to get outside the walls of this church and to serve well and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus too. Whenever we've done it unto the least of these, we've done it unto our Lord and our Savior. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what it looks like to be a good steward of God's manifold, multifaceted, varied grace. That we turn our blessing of the grace that we have been given into blessings in others' lives. So how does Peter end the section? Let's conclude with that. Look at verse 11, the last part of it. In order that, so all that I've said, doing this, living this way, prioritizing love, embracing this, this, this value of we, being stewards of the blessing that we've re- received. So, so he says, now here, and do all of that in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's a result of us acting on the reality that we are better together. When we prioritize love again, when we understand and embrace the value of we, when we are stewards of the blessing that we've received and we turn that into being a blessing to others as we serve one another, the result is God's going to be glorified through Jesus Christ. And he ends this section with this it's like right in the middle of this, this chapter, he ends this section with this big high note of worship that reminds us of the big picture because Christ will be glorified forever and ever. Amen. So he's lifting our thoughts, our hearts beyond this world, beyond the struggles of this world to eternity that lies before us as his followers. Remember, What's the context of, of, of where, what's going on in the world, into the world in which Peter writes this? There is persecution and there is struggle. Peter himself, as I said, he's on the short list. He knows because Jesus had told him that, that he would be martyred himself. He knows he's going, to be, he's going to follow Christ, that he's going to take up his cross. And he's literally, he would die as a martyr for Jesus. And within just a few years of him penning these words, he would die a martyr. And it's into that world where the fires of persecution under the hand of Nero were burning bright. Peter reminds us exactly who it is that wins in the end. That should cause a little little tingle to go down our spine as we think about who wins in the end. It's been settled already. There's no debate about what's going to happen in the end, God will be glorified forever and ever. Amen. Philip writes in his commentary on this passage, he says, the wickedness of men such as Nero is a mere marking in the sand along the shores of time. But the tide is coming in from the fathomless immensity of eternity and what follows will be forever and ever Amen. Friends, we are better together. So let's embrace the value of we. Let's love one another. Let's serve well one another. Let's be good stewards of the manifold, varied grace of God. 
Because this world is not our home. It is broken. It has it been compromised by sin. And there's no uh, totally fixing it. We're going to do everything we can as we restore God's ideal. We are on mission until that time we're called to home. And there is a relentless move of time forward. And unless the Lord tarries, or if the Lord tarries, maybe we will all face death one day. Or if He doesn't, He's coming back and we'll see Him. But what are we doing until that time? Are we going to be faithful to what we've been given? And ask our worship team to come back out. As we conclude, I would just ask you, how do you sense that God's speaking to you today? Maybe you need to accept the varied, multifaceted, manifold grace of God. You've never put your faith in Christ. And today could be that day for you to make Him, to name Him as you confess your sin and recognize His gift, His grace that He's been given, He has given you, that you embrace Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Or maybe today there's something you need to confess to the Lord, that you've been living your life not earnestly loving. You've done what's easy even for the world to do, and that's love those who love you back. But honestly, as you look at and you evaluate relationships, interactions, you've not earnestly, fervently, diligently loved. And so let's confess that to the Lord today and ask for his help. He talks about in this passage, we didn't look at it or we didn't really talk about it, but he talks about that he'd give us the power to do the things he's asking us to do. Or maybe today you need to take a step to be deep, more deeply engaged, a step of growth to be rooted and planted. And so you're going to find a class or find a place to be a part you understand that we've been called to be together. Or maybe today you'll take a step to join a team to serve and to live out your faith. Friends, we're better together. And the really cool thing about really understanding the together part is the blessing that it brings in our lives. As we surrender our own rights and all the stuff and all this individualism and we come together and we serve our world together and one another together and ultimately our Lord together. Let's stand if you would and let me pray for us. These altars are always open or as the Lord leads you and is speaking to you, you do some work with him as I pray and as we sing this final song. Father God, God, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for my family, my church family. And God, I thank you, God, for this call that you have on our lives. We are better together. God, this idea of prioritizing love and understanding the value of we and, Father, how we can, as we have been blessed, we can be a blessing. And, God, I pray that you would just speak to us now. I pray for that person, God, today that is for the first time bowing in me and just embracing you as their Savior, calling on you to forgive them of the, just say, God, forgive me of my sin and embracing Christ as Lord and Savior. God, thank you for as We just ask, God that you forgive us and set us free. Thank you for that grace you're pouring into lives right now. And God, I pray for something you need to be, that we need to confess to you. If it's, it's some step we need to take, God, that you would speak to us now in the concluding moments of this time that we have as we worship you. We pray in Jesus' name.